Daniel chapter 2. Now, real quickly, can somebody very briefly tell me what Daniel chapter 2 is about? The king has a dream. The king has a dream. Can't remember it. Can't remember it. Who else wants to finish the story? Add another sentence to it. Okay. Or they will be killed. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> and Daniel comes to the rescue, right? Daniel doesn't panic. Okay. Well, you know, you guys are, I don't know if you guys know what I'm going to say or what, but um, generally people say, you know, the image or the king has a, has a dream about the kingdoms of the world or something like that. But you get, none of you mentioned that. And that's really good because we're not talking about that tonight. Mm-hmm. That's the next week. That's the second half. In the second half. Okay. <laughs> Real smart. Real smart. A students. Okay. So we're going to do, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through the first part of Daniel, which actually is the majority of it. It's not even divided in half. Uh, it's up to verse 30. So Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. And that is uh, hopefully going to whet your appetite. It's going to make you just really want to know what the rest of the chapter is about. Okay, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Let's see here. How should we do this? I don't want to do all the reading. So let's start with... All right, Joey. Uh, Why don't you read from verse... Verse 1 to verse 9. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldean spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. But the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut into pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servant the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know, uh, I know for certain that your that you would give uh, that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me. There is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times have changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I will, and I will know that you can give me its interpretation. So the story is very self-explanatory. It's like, uh, a, it's like a just a real thrilling introduction to something that just gets you on your toes, right? But let's look at it a little bit closely. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar. Who is he? 
What do you know about Nebuchadnezzar? Most powerful guy in the entire world. King of Babylon. And what do you know that he's done? What did he do in chapter 1? He conquered Jerusalem. And based on history, we know that Nebuchadnezzar conquered the then-known world. He, he not only conquered the then-known world, he was an architectural genius. He was just incredible mind. He was very smart. And somehow, this m- incredible, mighty man, uh, probably a man of great valor, uh, been through hundreds, thousands of battles. He's been through thick and thin. He's been through it all. He has a dream, and his dream scares him so much that he can't sleep. Wait a second here. There must be something unusual about this dream, don't you think? And on top of that, what, just based on those of you who have read it before or have heard the story before, what's the dream about? Well, let me ask it this way. Is the dream about, any, is it like a nightmare? Is anything scary? No. Not, not, exactly. not really, right? I mean, you, you dream... I mean, maybe in his dream he had the perspectives and the sound effects that made it sound really scary, but I don't know that. But based upon what the dream is about, he sees an image with a head of gold and, and chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, and then a rock comes and smashes the thing. To me, that's not particularly scary. I mean, maybe... I'm too desensitized, but <laughs> watched too many movies when I was young or something. But to me, that doesn't sound like something that should scare a warrior like Nebuchadnezzar. Wouldn't you agree? So there's something unusual about this dream right from the front. From verse 1, we can see, wait a second, this is not supposed to happen. All right? And then what happens? Verse 2, then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now before we go deeper into that verse, I want to look back in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 20. Can somebody read that verse for me? And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. So who, who is the them that they're talking about here? Yeah, Daniel and his three friends. So wait a second. Just a few verses before, the king had pronounced Daniel and his three friends ten times wiser than all the magicians, all the astrologers, all the wise men. Now, just a couple of verses down, the king is troubled and he calls all the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers, but Daniel and his friends aren't there. There's something strange there, don't you think? Something odd. Why is that? Now, before we answer that question, we'll need to go a little bit farther before we find an answer to that question. Uh, we see here the list of the people that are called. First is the magicians. Second, astrologers. Third, sorcerers. Fourth, the Chaldeans. Now, I don't know if you all know what the Chaldeans are, but uh, based on a book by Uriah Smith called the D- Daniel and the Revelation, the name Chaldean simply is a type of philosopher that studies supernatural things like uh, magic and all of this sort of stuff. So, based upon that definition of Chaldeans, looking at all of these people, who are they? What do they have in common? Magicians, astrologers, 
sorcerers. They're, they're all, they seem sort of almost interchangeable. They're all dealing yeah. with the, the dark side of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like superstitious stuff. Or, uh, or there's, a, there's a term that, uh, I guess, almost theological term, is called spiritualism. Uh, I guess it's not used that much anymore. But it's spiritism. spiritism, yeah. Things that deal with the supernatural, the dark side of the supernatural. And somehow, these people are the counselors to the king. They're the counselors to the king. That's odd, isn't it? Why would a king seek counsel from these people that were in touch with the dark side of the supernatural. And again, we, we know that there's a pagan nation, a pagan king. So when we think of a pagan nation based on the kingdom of Babylon, at least the kingdom of Babylon, who really is the people that run a pagan nation? Who is it? Is it the king? Or is it his counselors? Well, it's, like the, it's like he's got this, uh, this cabinet. His cabinet, cabinet exactly. Exactly. And who are those sorcerers, based on what you know, who are those sorcerers in communications with? Demonic spirits. spirits. So, in a sense, when you think of a pagan nation, a nation that is united with, uh, that is run by pagan principles, ultimately the person in charge is the devil. That's all I want to say. So Babylon here is ultimately... The head honcho is Satan himself through these mediums called sorcerers or magicians or astrologers or Chaldeans. So these are the people that come before the king trying to give him an answer. So the king says to them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse 4, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac or in Aramaic. This is very interesting. I don't know if you know this, but uh, if you look at I don't know how many of your Bibles have a center column reference. In my center column reference for verse 4, it says Chaldee to the end of chapter 7. Does any of your Bibles say that? Mm-hmm. What, I looked at the you know, Bible, I guess, manuscripts or whatever you want to call it. From Daniel chapter 2 verse 4 until the end of chapter 7, it's, writ- it's written in a different language. The book of Daniel is written in Hebrew originally, but starting in this verse until the end of chapter 7, it's written in Aramaic, uh, the language basically of Babylon, instead of the Hebrew language. Now there's something unique about that, something interesting about that, um, that we're not going to talk about right tonight. Uh, As we go through Daniel, uh, we'll touch on that again. But I just want to bring that to your attention. Uh, in case you're wondering why does it say the Chaldeans spake to the king in Syriac or Aramaic. That's, why it, that's what, it, what it means. That's where it switches languages. So, the, so what does the Chaldeans say? The wise men say, tell the servants a dream and we will show the interpretation. Now that's simple enough, right? The, the Chaldeans say, just tell us what your dream was and we'll tell you what it means. Come on. I mean, I could do that. If you, if you had a dream and you trust me with your life, tell me your dream, I'll just tell you whatever you know, I think it means. Something to make you feel good and go back to bed. So these, I mean, this is probably in the middle of the night. Probably in the middle of the night, all these guys are coming in, they're tired, and they think, what is this king up to? Not again. It sounds like they've done this before. And the king just says, now I've had a dream, and you know, I'm, I'm getting a little 
uh, insomnia because of it. Can you, can you help me out here? And the Chaldean said, yeah, 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 just tell us the dream. But look at what the king says. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you will be cut in pieces and your houses will be made a dunghill or a compost pile, whatever you want to call it. So why, why the sudden change? It sounds almost illogical. This king is saying, you know, you guys help me out. I have a dream. And the guys that just tell us the dream, fair enough. And the king says, tell me what my dream was or else I'm going to kill you all. The only explanation for this is that these sorcerers, Chaldeans, magicians, they claim to be able to read the unknown. If they never made that claim, the king would never require that of them. Somewhere along the way, it doesn't say where, it doesn't say how, it doesn't say when, Somewhere along the way, they claimed that they could read or tell that which is not known to man. So the king makes this, this immediate uh, decree. If you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to kill you. But if you do, I'll give you all the glory and honor and riches and so forth. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, self-explanatory. So they couldn't tell the king the dream. And the king ob- obviously is thinking these guys... Are a bunch of phonies. No, they can't tell me the dream. They just want to buy more time. That, in fact, that's exactly what it says in verse eight. I know of certainty that ye would gain the time. You just want more time, and you guys are just lying to me. And uh, you just, you know, I, for all I know, you guys are in on this conspiracy to get me off the throne. Whatever. You know, this is some things that the king must have thought. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. There's more important things to dwell on in this chapter. Verse ten. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. Verse 11, And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. This is the response from, from the uh, Chaldeans, the, the wise men, the astrologers and so forth. Their answer is, there isn't a human being under the sun that can tell you what you want to know. Except, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now right here, I need to add a little side note, a little explanation of what the, what the pagans thought about the gods or the supernatural gods. Their perception of the gods of the supernatural are the gods that are, are gods that are so far removed, they're so high, so far removed away that they do not care. They have no interest in ever dabbling with or, or being involved with human affairs. They thought that the gods were so incredibly uh, obsessed with their higher duties that in order to get their attention, they have to do something drastic. They have to have things like human sacrifices. Uh, they have to slay their own children. Their firstborn has to be sacrificed. They have to send people off rivers. I mean, these are other pagan nations. But, I mean, they have to do these incredibly grotesque and dramatic things in order to get their God to listen to them. I mean, you, you hear of stories, people casting their young fair maidens down volcanoes and that sort of stuff. They want to get their God's favor, their God's attention, because they don't dwell with men. They don't care about man. We have to do something to appease their wrath, something to get their attention. 
And that's the type of thing that this, these Chaldeans are saying. They're saying, the only, people, the only beings that can explain this dream to you, king, are the gods who have nothing to do with us. The, the gods don't even care about us and they are the only ones that can do this. But this is very interesting. This is a very interesting contrast. We're going to see this later in the book of, uh, in this chapter. But we see right away a serious contrast with the God that we serve, don't we not? I mean, look, look with me. Uh, if somebody can read for me Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. Whoever gets there first, please read it out loud. Verse 8. Very good. So, God is speaking here. And wh- what does He say? Let them make me a sanctuary that I may, what? Dwell, Dwell with who? With His people. God is a God, our God, the God that I serve, the God that I know. He is a God that wants to dwell with you and I. He is a God that cares about us more than anything else. That even though we are sinners, even though we have iniquities that set us apart from Him, He wants us to make Him a sanctuary that He may dwell with us. But that's not all. That's not all. Because in John, look there with me. John chapter 1. This is a text that I'm sure we've read and read again and heard it and heard again. Someone read that for us, please. John 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 is talking about Jesus. The Word was made flesh. Jesus Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, back to Daniel chapter 2. It says that, it says that you know, no man can tell this thing, O king, except the God whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, Jesus, the Son of God, not only did He come to dwell, God was not satisfied in just having a sanctuary to dwell in. He said, make me a body a bodily sanctuary that I may be I may not only dwell with flesh but I, I will be made flesh that's the God of Daniel that's the God that I serve that's the God that I know and God in Daniel chapter 2 well, you're going to see that in a moment in Daniel chapter 2 at least from my study you, I have no problem if you disagree with me or if you find something else that's better But based on my study in Daniel chapter 2, within its context, the entire point of the story of Daniel chapter 2 is God revealing Himself. God is revealing Himself to Daniel, to Nebuchadnezzar, to the wise men, and to the entire world. And the whole point is that there is a God that He is willing, He is not willing to dwell in heaven and just have communication with man. He's not willing to just live in a sanctuary and be among His people. He wants to be in the flesh like His people. And that's the story of Jesus. 
So Daniel, people say, I mean, I just cannot, I cannot get over it when people say the book of Daniel is a cryptic book, apocalyptic book. It's talking about the end of the world. You know, you can't understand it. There's nothing about Jesus. No gospel in it. Well, my friends, Daniel chapter 2 is the gospel. You're going to see it in just a moment. But this, this verse right here, Daniel chapter 2, verse 11, I see that as one of the main key phrases. The, the, the claims of the uh, Chaldeans are saying, nobody can explain this except the gods who's not dwell- whose dwelling is not with flesh. But the whole point of this chapter is Jesus or God is saying, no, I will show you the answer to your question. I will reveal the secret to you. And not only that, I will reveal to you that I want to dwell with you. That's the God of Daniel chapter 2. But let's keep going before we, I get too carried away. Verse 12. For this cause, the king was, very ang- or was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Verse 13. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Now, amazingly enough, somehow the king had this dream uh, that the seasoned warrior was afraid of, and that, so that he couldn't sleep. And somehow, amazingly enough, he forgot all about Daniel, called all of his, all of his counselors in. Amazingly enough, all of the counselors could not interpret the dream, and the king could not remember the dream. I, I forgot to mention that. Amazing. Such an impact on the king, but he couldn't remember the dream. I'm sure you've all had that experience. You're like, oh, that dream, I just can't remember it, but it was something really vivid, something really spectacular, or really scary. And the king forgets all about Daniel, but amazingly enough, the first people that they go to try to kill is Daniel. I mean, this is, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, it looks like it's set up. But then... I look at the situation and, you know, automatically we think, well, God, is, God must be in charge of this. We know that God gave the man, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar the dream. But then I ask the question, well, God is just setting Daniel and his friends up. He's just pigeon, pigeonholing them in a bad spot. Doesn't it look that way? I mean, why didn't God just let Nebuchadnezzar remember the dream and then have him remember Daniel and have him come in and interpret the dream and everything will be honky-dory? Why did God have to make him forget the dream and then make him forget about Daniel and bring the other wise men in and then, have, and then amazingly enough have them try to kill Daniel first of all people. I mean, at least give him a chance to escape or something. It sounds like God is just setting up Daniel, just placing him in a place where he can't get away. Putting, setting Daniel up so that it's like it, it, there's, there's no way out. It seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, when I put myself in Daniel's position, I would think, Lord, I don't know if you've heard this before, Lord, why me? You know, when bad turns to worse, we ask the question, Lord, why does this have to happen to me? We ask the questions, why do bad things have to happen to good people? We think like these type of questions, Lord, you know, if you're alive in heaven, do something, save me, do something. Why did you let this happen to me? This is ridiculous, God. Do you really exist? I mean, if I was in Daniel's situation, I would think that. I mean, first of all, you know, you promised that our nation was your chosen nation, the Messiah would come through us, and now we're captured by Babylon. My family was killed, temple is taken away, or the temple is trampled, all the vessels taken away. Now I'm a captive in Babylon. Now they're trying to kill me, and, and you never even gave me a chance. God, what's going on? But that's not what Daniel said. 
we have to keep that in mind, that there is something greater than just us. This is a, this is, I, I see it, and I see it again through the Bible. We have a selfish perspective, but God wants us to have a selfless perspective. You know, we ask questions like, why me? But instead of asking that question, perhaps we should be like Daniel and say, Lord, what is your will for me in this situation? How can I reveal you more in this situation? And then we ask questions like, how can I be saved? You know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus and God, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. That is the fundamental issue with um, Satan's arguments with God. God's government is based upon selflessness. You do what's best for others. You think less of yourself than of other people. But even within our Christianity today, we get this idea of the ultimate goal for my Christian experience is for me to go to heaven, for me to fly with the eagle, for me to swim with the dolphins, for me to walk on the streets of gold. But let me tell you something. That's not the Christianity of the Bible. You look at Daniel. He's not carried, he's not carried away by, by just uh, self-pity. He's not thinking, Lord, why are you doing this to me? He's thinking, well, there must be God's perfect will in the midst of all this. And we know the rest of the story, so we know it comes out to be a happy ending, even for Daniel, because he was promoted. Uh, but, you know, we need, to, we need to keep the perspective in mind that even if we are not blessed in the way that we think we should, that we are still to think, Lord, there must be a greater good if this is your will. So let's keep going. Man, I'm getting carried away on, on all these things. But Daniel chapter 2 is, is beautiful, isn't it? All right, let's keep going. Then Daniel answered, with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Actually, let's just finish this short section, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Verse 15. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Now, this is a very, very interesting situation in my mind. In my mind's eye, I see the chief executioner of the king, Arioch. He comes to Daniel's house. And if you remember the stories of like, um, like in, in the times of Egypt, Pharaoh said, kill all the baby boys, right? And the, and the executioners, they didn't come in, knock and say, oh, hi, how are you doing? Oh, can I see your baby? You know, you know, have a little chit-chat, you know, play with the baby a little bit, and then, you know, do you mind just stepping out for a little bit? No, no, no. They just come in, they don't ask any questions, they come in, take out their sword, drive it through, and that's their, their job is done. But Ariok comes, knocks on the door, and I see Daniel opening the door and say, Hey, Ariok, how are you doing? Somehow, there was time for Daniel to answer. That's strange. That's strange to me. And not only that, somehow in his answer, Ariok was able to see counsel and wisdom. Now, how many of you can speak with counsel and wisdom to the guy who's trying to kill you? I mean, that's strange. It would be, I mean, can you imagine this guy is drawing his sword, he's coming after you, and somehow from what you say to him, he can say he has counsel and wisdom. 
That's unusual. This is strange. What's wrong with this? What's wrong with this picture? But not only that. And he says he's go forth to kill this wise man. And and Daniel asks the question. So why is this so hasty? Why is the decree so hasty? Why do you want to kill me so fast? And what does Ariok do? It says then Ariok made the thing known to Daniel. So it's like Daniel is like, Ariok, what's going on? And Ariok was, I probably think my hunch is that Ariok knew Daniel from before. And he knew that Daniel was not a bad guy. He knew that Daniel was a smart guy. He knew that Daniel was good to the kingdom and good to the king. Nothing wrong with this guy. So Ariok probably did not want to do it. That's what I'm guessing. So that testifies to Daniel's social skills too. And his, and his, and his, um, and his love and his kindness, compassion to others, even his enemies. That's a whole other point, but I think you can see that from here. So I'd imagine Daniel saying, Ariok, come on in, sit down, let's talk about it. And Ariok tells the whole thing to Daniel. Now this is very unusual. Very unusual. I have a few verses for you to look up for me. Uh, can one person look at Job chapter 12 and verse 13? Job 12 and verse 13. And then Proverbs 8 verse 14. Job chapter 12 and verse 13. And that text, if you look a few verses back, is talking about the Lord or God. So tell me, answer me real quick. Whose characteristic is it to have, that ha- who is it that has counsel and wisdom? Based upon Job. God. So Proverbs 8 verse 14, what does that say? Again, the same thing. God is saying, I have understanding. I have counsel. I have wisdom. These are characteristics of God. <coughs> Let's look at another verse. I want, I, I want everyone to look at this one. It's in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 11 and verse 2. So far we see that counsel and wisdom are characteristics of God. And chapter 11 and verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And who is this talking about? Verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has a spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might. And we see here Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 answering his executioners with counsel and wisdom. Daniel in this, in chapter 2, has the image of God. Daniel is living a life with Christ in him so that Jesus Christ is revealed to even his enemies. And this is very important because you remember in Daniel chapter 1. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 1 now. And verse 17. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning 
and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And this is based upon them passing the test, or them making the decision to be firm for, on the, for the Lord in, his, in their diet, but much more than that, in every principle of their life. So as Daniel and his three friends made the commitment to the Lord, decided to live a healthy life, decided not to bow down to the images and the idols of, of Babylon, God was able to grant them wisdom and understanding. And it doesn't say in chapter 1, but I understand that to also include counsel, a spirit of counsel. So what's the application for us? Can we live a healthy life? Can we make the same decision that Daniel made in chapter 1? Sure we can. In chapter 2, we might not be asked to interpret President Bush's dream, but nonetheless, we can still have counsel and wisdom, even to the people that irritate us, to that agitate us and we can have the spirit of Christ and that is the key we remember the book of Daniel the whole book the theme is judgment we're going to talk about God's final judgment of the world and so forth and these chapters are giving us practical pointers of how to stand in that judgment because when we are like Jesus let me tell you something Jesus is let me say this God the Father is the judge. We'll see that in Daniel chapter 7. He's the judge in the final judgment. And Jesus Christ is His Son. So when we are like Jesus, do you think we're going to pass the judgment? I mean, it's, that's pretty simple to understand, I think. I mean, the judge loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. And when we are in the image of Christ, the judgment is nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be afraid of. Because we can be like Daniel here and have the character of God, the character of Jesus, even to his enemies. That's one of the key points from this chapter, by the way. So let's keep going. So Daniel goes in and asks the king for time. And interestingly enough, the king grants him time. The king grants him time. And the reason why is, in chapter 1, you remember the king saw this, this young man is ten times wiser. Not only ten times wiser, he is, it says, none like Daniel. He was outstanding in every way. So the king knew, Daniel, this guy, he's special. This guy's probably got something up his sleeves. I think I can trust this guy. Now, can, can people say that about you? Can people say that about you? When you go to your professors, when you go to the people who are in charge, even people when they, when, when they don't particularly agree with you in every aspect of your lifestyle or belief system, can they say, that guy is trustworthy, that girl is worth my time to listen to? I know that I should pay attention to them. Can they say that? Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, I, I, I really can't spend much time on this, but just look at this. Daniel goes home and finds his three friends. He finds friends that share similar convictions. So ask yourself the question, are there friends that I can pray with? Ask yourself the question, how many times, how often do I pray with my friends? How often do I pray with my parents? Are the friends that I have around me someone that is worth or not worth? Is, is, are my friends around me some, someone that I can actually open up these, these incredibly uh, uh, huge burdens of my soul to? Can they share that with me? Can they help me in that? Verse 18, Daniel and his friends, they say, pray, they pray that they shouldn't die with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, wait a second. In chapter 1, Daniel and his friends were willing to die over food. 
in chapter 2, they're, you know, they're, they're like cowards now? What happened? No. Simple point, simple fact. We shouldn't pray for death for meaningless reasons. I mean, this is ridiculous. Because a wise man can interpret the dream, that means we have to die? No, 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 no. When God asks us to, to die for our beliefs, it's something based on principle, not something based on other people's weaknesses or other people's inca- incapabilities. Anyway, common sense. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Notice carefully his prayer. I'm not going to dwell much on it. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Again, there it is. Wisdom and might. These are characteristics of Jesus. And keep those words in your mind. Keep those words in your mind because they'll show up again in a few verses. Verse 21. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows that it, what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me what? Wisdom and might. And has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Daniel thanks the Lord immediately. And he gives the Lord all the glory and all the praise. But in verse 21, notice real carefully, I mean, this is, this is simple for those of us who've read the rest of the chapter, but verse 21 is the outline. Verse 21 is the snippet, it's the preview of what the dream is about. We're not talking about the dream tonight, so you can uh, look at that more on your own. Verse 27, Therefore Daniel went in unto Ariok, whom the king has ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. So based on verse 21, right after he got the interpretation to the dream, God revealed the dream to him in a vision. He got on his knees and he thanked the Lord. Right after that, what did he do? Don't kill the other guys. Why did he do that? Because he's nice. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Daniel cared more about saving those wretched, miserable, worthless wise men's lives than going to the king and saying, Look, king, I did it. I got the answer to the question you're looking for, and none of these guys can do it. You know, you can take care of them. Just make me your right hand man. You know, I, I wouldn't mind just an added bonus here and there, a new house maybe, or whatever else. I mean, Daniel could have asked for anything he wanted. But what was the first thing he asked? Save the wise men. And these wise men, if, I mean, we're not in chapter 3 yet, but in chapter 3, the same wise men, based on the book Prophets and Kings, the same wise men tries to kill Daniel's three friends in chapter 3. The same ones. And Daniel's saving these guys. Obviously, he doesn't know they're going to try to kill him later. But this is an important principle for us to remember too. That is that a lot of times, the wickedness or the wicked men and women of the, of the world are preserved because of God's people. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham uh, bargained with God. You know, what if there were 50 people? 40? He keeps going down. What if there were just 10 righteous people in the city? God said, if there were ten, I will not destroy the city. God is willing to, to, to save the multitudes or, or 
keep destruction away from the multitudes of wicked, unconverted, unconsecrated human beings for the sake of just a few of the righteous. Just a few of the righteous. And we, applying this to the end times, we know that at the end of time, the four winds of strife will be let loose. And the only reason why they have not been let loose is because of the righteous people of God. We're going to talk about that more in a few in a few weeks. But once the righteous people of God have received the seal of the living God in their foreheads, if you don't understand, that's fine. We'll come to that. Once they receive the seal of the living God in their foreheads, then that means they're set. They, they've decided. They cannot be moved. And that's when the four winds are let loose. And that's when all of the destruction, all of the things that the wicked have deserved or have been filling up or so to say crediting already that's when it will all come so we need to remember a lot of times just because of our influence perhaps just because of one person God is willing to spare the lives of many others uh, just because of that one or those few and this is the same case with Daniel and let's keep going verse 25 then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Now, Ariok, evidently, he didn't remember that Daniel had come in to the king earlier and said, give me some time and, you know, I'll be back with you. So, Ariok, you know, one of those times, open mouth, insert foot. But, anyway, it doesn't tell us what happens to him. I, I would have been curious to know. But verse 26, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Verse 27. Notice Daniel's answer. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and maketh known to the king what shall be in the latter days. Now, before we finish the last part of this verse, right here it says, there is a God in heaven. So, Daniel is saying, there is a God whose dwellings is not with flesh, sure, that revealeth secrets. So, right there, he's turning the tables. He's saying, your wise men says that there's, there are gods, but they don't answer secrets. I'm telling you that my God, he does answer secrets. And notice right here, it says, what shall be in the latter days? Very interesting, huh? The vision we know it's talking about the history. We're not, we're not officially going to it, but for those of you, just as a preview, it goes to the history of the time of Babylon all the way until the end of the world. It's not just about the latter days. Why did Daniel say that? The reason is that Daniel is giving us an important key. Remember this when, when we come to the, or when you read the prophecy in chapter 2 that the key, the main emphasis that God is telling us to focus our attention on when we study the prophecy is the, is the portion that deals with the latter days. I mean, it's real clear. Daniel, the book of Daniel is like elementary math. And then the book of Revelation is like advanced calculus. So once you learn the basic arithmetic in, in Daniel, which, you know, God is just giving us real plain, when you come to Daniel, it'll be uh, a revelation it'll become clear and easier to understand. Just as a key for you in your personal studies. So when you look at it, the latter days, the prophecy, the main emphasis is on the latter days. And we'll talk about that once we come to the prophecy. 
and verse 29, or actually, let's finish verse 28. At the end of this, at the end of the verse, it says, "Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy head uh, on thy, uh, thy bed are these." What's the significance of that? Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Actually, so God is about to reveal the vision, but verse 29 keeps going. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. Verse 29 is very, very key. I don't know how many times people have read this, but many times I know I've skimmed over it. But this is what Daniel is saying. Your dream and the vision of the head are these. I'm about to explain to you your vision and your dream. But verse 29 says, as a prelude, And O king, while you were laying on your bed before you fell asleep, this is what you were thinking. You were thinking, what will come to, what will come to pass in the future? And you know something, king? God is revealing that. The answer to that question to you. Let me put it in another way. Daniel is saying, King, you were praying to a God that you didn't know. But God heard that prayer and He's answering it. Daniel in verse 29 is saying, King, this is, the Lord knows just what you were thinking. He knows what burdens were on your heart. He knows what were your desires. And even though you didn't, don't, didn't worship Him, you didn't know Him, He's answering your prayer, King. And that's the point of this prophecy, or the, pro the point of this dream that you had. God was answering your prayer. And what does, this, what does this say about the God of Daniel? Number one, he's a personal God. He's a God that not only cares about the huge affairs of nations and, and battles and the changing of powers from different nations and the expansion of empires. He cares about the very innermost desires of the heart. He cares about what the king thought as he was laying on his bed before he fell asleep. And Daniel is saying, emphasizing again and again, this is the God that is revealing this to you. This is the God that is speaking to you. This is the God that I serve. This is the God that gave me the powers or, or the ability to interpret this dream. This is the God. Don't you want to get to know Him? This is the God. He's trying to say something to you. The whole point, like I said, in Daniel chapter 2 is God trying to reveal Himself to Nebuchadnezzar. That's the whole point. I mean, God could have given this prophecy in another way. He could have just shown it in a night vision directly to Daniel and have him write it down. In fact, a lot of the prophecies later on in the book of Daniel is given that way. But chapter 2, God had a special purpose, a special purpose for not just Daniel, but specifically for Nebuchadnezzar. God was trying to tug at his heart, to convict him by his spirit, so that he would give his life entirely over to the Lord. And we know he does that in chapter 4. So Daniel here is revealing, through his own life, and also through what God is doing to Nebuchadnezzar, that the God of heaven is a personal God, a loving God. A God that does not just dwell, where, uh, that does not dwell with flesh, but that he cares about men and their desires, and He cares about them, and He comes right down into your bedroom, 
to be right next to you. And let's keep going. Verse 30. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thine heart. The thoughts of thine heart. In closing, actually it's not closing, but right before he takes a step into the prophecy that, that is from here until the end of the chapter, the last sentence that Daniel leaves in the mind of King Nebuchadnezzar is the sentence, God wants you to know your own thoughts. God, care, God knows you better than you know yourself. God can show you what you ought to think about yourself because God has a different perspective of you. God sees you differently than what you think of yourself. And if we had time, we would go into the, into the prophecy. But even in the prophecy of the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, legs and uh, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, even in the image, in the explanation of the image, we can still see that the purpose of this dream, the purpose why this dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar was for God to touch his heart, to send his spirit in there, and to pull those right strings and to convict him. God had a purpose in this dream. And the purpose is also, also for the nations of the world, the history of, of Babylon until the end of the world. Yes, those are all vitally important, very important. But within the context of just this chapter, God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream to convert his soul and to save his life eternally. Now, in closing, really in closing now, let's just have, draw a few conclusions uh, real quickly. And that is that uh, God, why did God do what he did in terms of why did he give the king the dream and then take it away and then make him forget about Daniel and then have Daniel be the first one to be killed but then have him come and interpret the dream? I mean, why did it have to happen this way? First of all, through this sequence of events, God was able, well, not just through the sequence of events, but through Daniel interpreting the dream, first of all, he was able to make known to the king his desires. He was able to answer the king's prayer. He was able to show the king what will come hereafter. And we know that when we, once we study the chapter. And secondly, he was able to preserve his servants. He was able to preserve Daniel and his friends. And we know that. And next, he was able to bring a knowledge of his name into the highest levels of Babylon government. He was able, he, through this course of events, he could have, he brought the knowledge of him. If he had just let the king remember the dream, if he had just let Daniel interpret it, sure, God would have been uh, revered and so forth. But the next point is really, really salient, really crucial. That is that it, it showed the contrast between God's servants and the magicians and astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. It revealed how worthless uh, the pagan wise men were. It revealed their worthlessness. And um, ultimately, ultimately, I believe Daniel chapter 2 was a huge key, or perhaps it was the first step. It might not have been, but it was a step for Nebuchadnezzar towards making his decision 
to follow the God of heaven that we see in Daniel chapter 4. And that's really crucial. And so within the context, Daniel chapter 2, we see God through Daniel, through the course of events, through his prophecy, is trying to reach the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Trying to reach his heart. And we mentioned this briefly before, but why did God want to do that? Why was God so adamant of touching the heart of Nebuchadnezzar? And uh, we mentioned this before. Some of you weren't here in the first study two weeks ago. That is that uh, Jerusalem was the chosen people of God, but they disobeyed God. They were not faithful in sharing the light or sharing the good news, sharing the truth that God granted unto them. So God was now trying to use Babylon to do the work of Jerusalem. And God was going to show that even through the mind of the king of the pagans, he could still work to bring salvation to all nations. And he does. We see that in Daniel chapter 4. But of course, there's chapter 3 in between that, and then the last section of chapter 2 in between that also. And uh, I, I did forget to mention one thing, but this is something real cute that you can remember in closing, finally. Uh, and that is that when you, when you think of this story, when you think of the story of um, Daniel, it sounds remarkably similar to another story in the Old Testament. Almost identical. Joseph. Joseph. And Joseph lived years before Daniel did. So can you imagine Daniel going through the, this... I mean, he might not have thought of it through in the in the heat of the heat of the battle or the situation there. But later, can you imagine Daniel sitting down and thinking back to the story of Joseph? And he thought, "My, I went through the exact, almost exact same experience as Joseph." Now, what, how would you feel if you had an experience and then you remember back and you thought, "That's exactly what happened to Daniel." And the point here is that when you study these stories or when you study the, the character of the individuals that shine or are the heroes and that God uses, your life will be changed into the same image. Your life will be able to be formed and molded and, and made into the, same, into the same stuff that these guys are made out of. So when the situation faces you, you don't need to say, oh, if only I could be like Daniel. It won't even cross your mind. And you will live like Jesus lived, as Daniel did. And what happens to you? You will look back and say, but that's, what ex- that's exactly what happened to Daniel. Praise God for giving me counsel and wisdom and understanding and might. So the preparation for the crisis time needs to happen now. The preparation can't happen at the crisis. It needs to happen now. So let us learn from these stories. Let us look to Jesus. Let us learn to be like him so that we too be like Daniel when the crunch time comes. So we can be said uh, that we can be like Jesus. And so that's what I have for you this week. And um, I, I know I went a little bit late, but if, are there any questions or comments or anything? Yeah. Because it seems that if the ultimate um, goal of our life is peace,
people, that can disappoint me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if our overarching goal is, I want for who God is to be evident mm. by my life and by the way that He works, even if it means that my life ends up not being very big or important, but I'm part of His plan to That's right. glory to Himself. Mm-hmm. I may be one of Daniel's friends who doesn't get as much of the highlight, but, of course. but I'm bringing glory to God. And That's so right. to me, that was kind of an overarching thing that I heard in your summary was God's glory. That's right. Thanks for bringing that up. That's very important. So in revealing the stuff to Nebuchadnezzar, I think I was interesting that it would be introduced at this time as opposed to later because mm. um, when you had those different kingdoms, if it was introduced at pagan Rome mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, then it would be like, um, yeah, I guess it just wouldn't be as fascinating because you've already had quite a few of them already go down the sequence. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really nice that he introduces it right at the beginning. Mm. That's right. So I think it's sort of interesting, sort of going on with what you're saying. We talked a little bit about how Daniel revealed God in his character. Mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar reveals his picture of God through his interactions with the wise men, too. His picture of God, like you said, was a pagan one, mm-hmm. um, not with flesh. The gods are angry, and so Nebuchadnezzar treated people around him the same way he viewed God. He treated them angrily and arbit- with you know arbitrary force. That's right. And you know, we don't really have a choice. We are going to reveal our picture of God to mm-hmm. the world, and we really need to... Um, really need to make sure we have an accurate picture of God that we do reveal. That's right. A picture of the God that's found in the Bible, yeah. not the God in our imaginations. Yeah. See, God seeking throughout history, especially you see in the Old Testament, seeking to reveal himself, mm-hmm. who he is and what he's really like. For the Israelites, for the Hebrews, you know, when, they, when he first had them build that sanctuary so he could dwell with them, they had been for centuries in, in the middle of a Mm-hmm. So they didn't have it. They probably had the same perception that, you know, like the Babylonians did, that, this, that, that God, or they had lost most of what their knowledge of the true God was, that he's this mm-hmm. distant, hostile, foreign person that, that doesn't, you really wouldn't want, even if you wanted to dwell with him, you wouldn't feel comfortable with him right there. Right, right. God, step by step, is trying to say, look, don't be scared. I, 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 am, I am not only powerful, you know, totally powerful, mm-hmm. but I am also very good leads him step-by-step all the way to Jesus coming and being the ultimate revelation. Right. We're going to touch more on that uh, in future studies about the final, final revelation of God's character on this earth. You said that um, mm-hmm. God's chosen people moved from Israel people to Babylonia. Why did God choose uh, King Nebuchadnezzar? Because he's the most powerful well, um, I, I want to clarify something, and that is that God didn't transfer the chosen title to Babylon. That didn't happen. Uh, he was just using Babylon to punish the Jewish nation, but then at the same time reveal his power in using Babylon to communicate his gospel. The, the chosen, um, what's the term? The, 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 yeah, I guess the chosen status of Israel was still upon the nation of Israel. We see later in the book of Daniel that God was trying to restore that. We see that in Daniel chapter 7. And, um, or chapter 9, sorry. And um, in terms of Nebuchadnezzar, that is actually found in the prophecy. Why God chose Nebuchadnezzar. But let's just get, let me just give you a short preview. And that is that, um, let's say you're trying to influence a 
let's just say, the United States of America. To make your efforts uh, most efficient, uh, the, the, for the least amount of work with the greatest amount of results, who would you try to convince? The president, right? So through that one man's influence, many people will be influenced. And that's the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. <laughs> Not the easiest way. I mean, God, I'm sure he uses different methods, different methods all the time. Uh, because Jesus, he went and he healed the lepers. He, he healed the blind men. And uh, God is trying to seek and save all who are lost. But sometimes it is more efficient or some people will never be saved by you know, missionaries going to each an individual's home. But if he can influence one person, and through that one person have influence over 10 or 20 or 100 other people, then it can be faster, more efficient, well done. So God's ways are not our ways. I can't, I can't you know, say that I understand everything. But from my human logic and my perspective, you know, that would be logical, very logical for, for a way for God to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, if there's nothing else, why don't we kneel for prayer? Father in heaven, tonight we have seen the character revealed by Daniel. We have seen your earnest desire to seek and to save even the king of the pagans. Lord, how often we shun your salvation. We turn our hearts away from you. We take our hand out of yours to go our own separate way because we think our way is better. But Lord, we see that we need to be more like Daniel, that when trials and temptations beface us, we can say with Daniel, Lord, what would you have me to do? And instead of retaliating and fighting and reviling, we can say, uh, answer with counsel and with wisdom with the love and compassion and with the character of Jesus. And even as we are brought to the face of our worst, bitterest enemies, we can have the desire of Christ in our hearts to seek and to save that which is lost, that we may be a shining light to those and to bring them into the throne room of God so that they may get to know you themselves. And Father, I pray that you will help us each day as we continue to strive to uh, learn to be like Christ, May we decide to give our lives entirely over to you in, in, in physical aspect, the mental aspect, the social aspect, as, as well as the spiritual aspect. May we live the life of a balanced Christian as Daniel lived and help us to be uh, able to be used by you. If you, want to reach, if you want us to reach the homeless bum on the street or even if it truly is the king of Babylon, may you help us to accomplish that and to be willing to be used by you and to say, yes, Lord, use me. Change me and take me wherever you want me to go. Please protect us tonight as we go our separate ways. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.